Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Mick Podcast with the Irish Examiner. This week, in something of a departure, we have not one, but two guests, which might infer we're going stone mad altogether, but hang on and we'll see. Our guests are Seamus Coffey from UCC's Department of Economics and the former chair of the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, and Brendan Ogle, National Officer with the Unite Trade Union. Brendan, some of you may be aware, has been prominent in various social issues in recent years, principally the anti-water charges movement and the Apollo House occupation to highlight homelessness. Now, today, the two men are going to debate how equal or unequal Irish society is. There's a bit of a background to this. Seamus has written on the issue, including a piece that received some prominence last October, when he illustrated from available research what he says showed that inequality in this country was falling at a time when it's growing in other developed countries. Brendan takes an opposing view, and he and a colleague have produced a report Exploring Inequality and Deprivation in Ireland, which I think it's fair to say directly challenges Seamus's analysis. Now, Seamus, if I could start with yourself, and I suppose just to throw out the, the basic question to get things underway, and that is, how equal or unequal in socioeconomic terms are we in this country at the moment? Yeah, so there's no doubt that the, the whole question of inequality has become one that uh, has got a, a lot of attention and rightfully got a lot of attention uh, in recent decades. And it's one that over time uh, we now have uh, better measures of, not perfect, um, but it is one that we have undoubtedly improved. In terms of how equal Ireland is, I think uh, sort of uh, refining that question slightly uh, would be the nature of the direction of the travel. Like, are, are we becoming more equal or um, are we becoming more unequal? Uh, and internationally, the evidence is that uh, income inequality is increasing. Uh, that there's a widening gap between uh, incomes at the top and income at the bottom, and various measures show, and there's a very active international debate uh, about how uh, inequality is increasing in, in virtually all developed countries. There are a few uh, that run counter to this, and Ireland is one of those few countries where uh, over recent decades there's been a reduction um, in income inequality, that disposable income inequality now in Ireland is at its lowest ever measured level. Um, we have the first precise measures from about the mid-1980s. Uh, and since then, it kind of increased uh, a bit in the mid-1990s. But since the mid-1990s, although the economy has gone through various peaks and troughs, uh, by and large, inequality has tended to trend downwards. Uh, now, in terms of our position, like asking the question how unequal we, we are, which is where you said it out, like we would have gone from being, uh, especially amongst developed countries, one of the more unequal countries uh, in the 1980s. Uh, and what has happened in recent years is that as our inequality has edged downwards, as inequality in other countries, as income inequality in other countries has risen, we sort of move towards mid-ranking, maybe just a bit below mid-ranking. So there's no doubt that there is uh, income inequality in Ireland, uh, but that our relative position has improved in part because of an improvement in situation in Ireland and also because of the deterioration elsewhere. A quick thing there, Seamus. Am I correct that 
in terms of your analysis, the, the economic collapse 2008, thereafter until around 2013, things got worse and that there was a relatively rapid closing of that inequality gap since. Um, yeah, so like inequality has, has, has been impacted by the, the ups and downs of the Irish economy. So like in the early part of the crash uh, after 2008, what we actually saw was that uh, income inequality fell, maybe perhaps as some of the high incomes which were boosted, temporarily boosted by the, the excess of lending of the Celtic tire period. Uh, a lot of them were wiped out by, by the crash. But then as the recession was prolonged, as unemployment became more entrenched, uh, as the government introduced various cutbacks in spending and tax increases. Up to about 2013 or 2014, uh, we saw inequality, income inequality edge upwards. But as the recovery has set in, uh, as more people have got back to work, as there's been a greater spread uh, of market income as people's reliance on social welfare transfers was falling, for the last four or five years, uh, we've seen income inequality fall. And as I said, by the time you get to 2019, it's at its lowest ever measured level. Um, so like the economy does have a big impact on that. Uh, and more people in work, we've seen in Ireland, uh, reduces uh, the level of income inequality. Uh, and that's what it's done here. Yeah, and I suppose there's no question the pandemic is going to change dynamics, but we don't know exactly what or how exactly we're going to come out of it. But as you say, up until that point, that is the picture as you see it. Brendan, as I understand it, you dispute Seamus's analysis principally on the basis that indicators other than income should be included when measuring inequality. Now, we don't want to get too technical, but try and give us the, the layperson's version of that. Well, the first thing, uh, Michael, and, and, and I appreciate uh, the invite and I appreciate the coverage of our paper, Hungry Bellies Are Not Equal to Full Bellies, um, in the Examiner newspaper. And I appreciate this discussion because our entry into this discussion was based on reportage in December 2020, and uh, which itself was based on, on um, Seamus's research. Um, and it seemed to rule out discussion. Um, it seemed to be, uh, not seemed, it was very definitive. Um, it was stated uh, on the public record, including in the Oireachtas, that inequality was falling. And Seamus himself uh, is quoted as saying, the data are the data, the facts are the facts. Uh, and in a, in a sister newspaper of your own, uh, Michael, the, um, that was presented and, and, and people were actually listed, groups were listed as people who questioned this as, as not being entitled to their own facts. Now, we're aware as a trade union, um, as a trade union with a social uh, and, and, and political interest as well as representing workers in the workplace, we're aware, um, uh, we deal with, 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 with volunteers, with NGOs, with people working in the, in the not-for-profit sector all the time um, of the rising levels of inequality. So when we read this presentation uh, of the facts are the facts, um, there's no more further room for debate. Uh, and anybody that's, that, that is going, wants to debate this or question these facts are, are, are kind of naysayers. We were immediately, uh, it didn't fit with our experience, first of all. So we decided to, to, to delve deep into it. And it's interesting listening to Seamus there uh, for the last few minutes because Seamus referred consistently and solely to income inequality. And as you suggest, uh, Michael, um, and in fact, in fact, to be fair to Seamus in his research, he's quite open about that. Um, Seamus states in his research that, that um, to RTE in this case, when used on its own, inequality is typically shorthand for inequality in disposable income. Now, we question that. We question that, that, that anybody other than Seamus uh, defines uh, inequality in 
the narrow terms of disposable income. Uh, and, and I suppose in order to, to, to give evidence to that, um, we point to, to, to task. Um, and Seamus himself has, has used TASK in a different way. Just to point out, Brendan, so in case listeners don't know, TASK is a think tank that, that, that examines society, economy, etc. based in, in, uh, in Dublin. It's been here for a number of years. Yes, an independent think tank that would describe themselves as, uh, although they're, they're described as a left-wing think tank, wrongly in my view in the Irish Times. But anyway, leaving that ideological issue aside, TASK set out um, in their research um, seven measurements for economic inequality. Income is just one of them. The other six are wealth, public services, taxation, composition, capacities, which is the ability of human beings to operate. It can include disabilities and, 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 things, and, and things like that, not, not solely disabilities, and also the cost of goods and services. And, and, and you know, to, to argue and to debate inequality on the basis of income alone is to leave out from the discussion, and we don't think you can leave out from the discussion, the six aspects, the costs, the costs, um, the expenditures that people have. And now when we zero in on income, we can go further, and you just said you don't want to go too much into the data, uh, Michael, maybe that's a good thing, but I don't believe even looking at income that Seamus uses all of the data. He used, he, you know, there is, there is one set of data that Seamus addresses, the Gini coefficient, which seems to point to a contraction uh, in income inequality, it's historically acknowledged that, that it, it, it doesn't accurately measure incomes at the highest level. But there is another one, which is the share of income going to the top 1%. That's, sh- that's shown to be growing currently. And Seamus doesn't use that in his research at all. So we just think there needs to be a fuller debate. And we certainly shouldn't be having debates against the context that the facts are the facts and nobody else can challenge them. Okay, no, quick thing, I just go to share, but quick thing, Brent, to be fair, I don't think anybody suggested nobody can challenge them, but I understand when people put it down that way, people might interpret it that way, but to be fair, I don't think that was an intention. Anyway, Seamus, what do you think there, what Brendan says that in terms, particularly in terms of the measurements used to determine equality or inequality and the use of, and you might give some brief explanation of what exactly the Gini coefficient is. Yeah, so there's various different ways of trying to describe an income distribution. Like an income distribution is a pretty large thing covering the spread of income across the entire population. Uh, So what people examining uh, inequality look for is sort of a a singular, a simple measure that can give an indication as to whether inequality is rising or falling. Uh, So the Gini coefficient is a number that if the, the value is zero, it essentially means perfect equality. Everybody um, has the, the same amount. Uh, and if the value is one or it's sometimes quoted as a hundred, uh, if it's put between naught and one or naught and a hundred, it, it doesn't really matter. But if it's put at either of those, if it's put at one, for example, or if it's put at a hundred, it means that one person has everything. Um, so it measures the extent. So typically the answer is somewhere between that. Um, uh, and so it's, it's a measure of the sort of the spread of the district. And it is widely used. Uh, like it, it's not one that um, is uh, subject to severe criticism. If you look at most of the literature uh, on the, the in- income inequality, it does use the Gini coefficient. Yes, you can use uh, other measures and there should be complementary other measures. You shouldn't just rely uh, on a single measure. Um, but it is widely used. And in Ireland, if we take it in around the 1990s, it was a level of around 33, taking figures from Eurostat. Like this isn't, these aren't numbers that I'm devising myself. That's 33 out of 100. Sorry, out of 100. Just, just to clarify, that's yeah. 33 out of 100. And as you say, the closer you get to 100, the more unequal 
yeah, you want to see so, it fall. So it's kind of above the average, effectively, say we take the average of five or whatever, or a midpoint, you're saying it was 33 around then. Sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. So in the, yeah, the mid-99s, we were around 33. Now that would be high in international terms. Uh, roll on 10 years later, when we get to uh, the end of the Celtic Tiger period, it was been 30-31. Um, and now the latest estimates from Eurostat for 2019 put it at 28. Uh, so over that 25-year period, looking at Ireland's Gini coefficient in Eurostat's figures, falling from 33 to 28. Uh, and that is a significant drop. Um, other countries are showing the opposite trend. They would have started out significantly below Ireland. Say, if you take the, the Baltic countries, the Nordics, um, Denmark, Sweden, uh, Finland, etc., they'd have started at a range of around 25 back in the 1990s. Uh, and their estimates per Eurostat uh, of the Gini coefficient have risen close to Ireland's around 28. Uh, the gap has narrowed substantially. So we've narrowed some of the gap by the clear reduction in income inequality in Ireland. Like uh, income inequality has fallen in Ireland. That is indisputable. This is what the, the measures are showing, uh, whereas income inequality has risen elsewhere. OK, and Shane, what about that point then that income is only one of a number of possible and measurements in that respect? Absolutely. And it's important to be precise about what you're saying. If you say inequality is rising or inequality is falling, what are you talking about? You have to be precise. You can't just be generic and throw out things that had no uh, kind of uh, basis for evaluation. So when you're looking at income inequality, you say that's rising, that's falling. Um, that is uh, appropriate to set it out. Um, what happens is that uh, oftentimes it is used as a shorthand, that it is such an important measure uh, of inequality uh, that people tend to drop the income and just say inequality is rising, inequality is falling. And what they mean is inequality of disposable income. It's like referring to football. If somebody in Europe refers to football, by and large, we know they mean they're referring to association football, but they don't use the word association. That's not to discount that there's American football or that there's Australian rules football or that there's rugby football or even that there's our own, our own Gaelic football. But we know that the word, when used on its own, tends to refer to association football. Similarly with inequality. And when people use the word on, their, on its own, by and large, you're talking about inequality of disposable income. Now, that's not to say the others don't exist or aren't important. It's just the way the terminology is used. OK, Brendan, I mean, taking that point, two aspects to it. First of all, the... Um the fact that uh, how accurate, the, like the, the measurement is there for income inequality, the Gini coefficient and the other uh, measurements that Seamus referred to. In terms of yourself, and you make a point about there are seven different measurements you could use, how accurate can you be in determining uh, to, to the extent that we can define that word equality with those measurements? That's one thing. The other thing is this just occurs to me. When James talks about income inequality, he talks about disposable income. Now, irrespective of a person's uh, situation, surely the amount of income they have disposable is a major indicator of how things are with them. No, first of all, Michael, deal with your second point first. That's wrong. Uh, Seamus talks about Seamus defines disposable income by and large as, as income uh, net, net of taxation. But that's not the disposable. That doesn't take into account the things that people spend money on. If you, and we say this in the paper, if you take out of consideration the rent, the utility bills, the food costs, the transport costs, all the things that people spend money on, if you take that out of consideration of an assessment of inequality, then of course you can, you can you wouldn't need to be very clever now. To present, to present statistics to show that things are getting better if you don't take into any account the things that people spend money on. Uh, giving, and one 
glaring example, Mick, is the uh, is 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 rent and the cost of housing, um, uh, social housing. Uh, the, the situation in Dublin up to sixty four percent of of a median wage in Dublin city at the moment goes on the roof over the person's head. So that is a huge rise over recent decades, a huge rise since since, since me and by your hairline, I suggest you were growing up, Michael. Um, <laughs> actually, it might be a few years, it might have a few years on us um, in the right direction. Um, but that is a huge change over recent decades. And if you just eliminate those costs from an assessment of inequality, sure, of course you're going to come up with statistics that suit. Now, coming back to the seven issues, I, I, I just do not accept uh, Seamus's premise, though, that we did... We just we just did do away with the word income inequality for shorthand, because you know it's not. First of all, it's not that big of a word. It's six letters. You know, we're not that desperate for shorthand. Did we have to end up with 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 misleading articles in a national newspaper which says, and I'm quoting here, inequality is falling in Ireland and has been for years, and that 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 headline could be corrected to something moderate, moderately accurate if the word income was, had, was headed into it. And there's no difference in that sentence. There is a massive difference in those two sentences, an absolutely massive difference. And I'm suggesting it's not accidental that that difference isn't, isn't accidental at all. And why do you say that, Brendan? Like, what are you implying when you say it's not accidental? Well, well, well what I'm suggesting, Mick, and I know you've, you've read the paper, but what I'm suggesting is, if we look at the, at the Celtic Tiger era before the crash, and we look at what happened there, there was, this is a country that loves consensus. The Ireland loves consensus. And God be with anybody that steps out of the, the, the narrative in terms of an economic consensus in Ireland. We had the Celtic Tiger. We had a Taoiseach telling people who questioned whether it was sustainable to kill themselves. With the European Commissioner calling them left-wing pinkos. With an entire narrative um, that the property prices would continue to rise. The fundamentals of the financial system were sound. We were regulated to within an inch of their lives. Sean Fitzpatrick and Michael Fingleton were geniuses. We were leading the world. And the coverage which led us doing this research was very much in that vein. Ireland was again breaking ground and showing a new economic model. People like Morgan Kelly at the time, who came out and, and spoke against that, who said, this is all going to crash. This is not sustainable. They were lampooned. People laughed in their faces on television. Um, and, and, and we were going to get a, even if something went wrong, it was going to be such a soft landing. The, the crash hit Ireland like a meteor coming out of space. All of the narrative was blown apart. And we were told at the time, it seemed there was some sort of unspoken social contract. We, we wouldn't go into that hubris again. We wouldn't make that mistake again. We would have an, an honest analysis of what's going on going forward. An honest analysis of inequality requires the measurement not only of what people have in their pockets, but what they have to spend it on okay. and how those two things are changing. And I'm, suge- and I'm suggesting here that, that all of Seamus' sources, by the way, and are, and are very reputable sources, there's no doubt about that, be it Tyson, be it Tree, be it be Sweeney with Task, they all say, they all say there are a range of factors here that need to be considered. They all say that. The only one that says that there isn't and people aren't entitled to their own facts, it appears to me, is Seamus. Okay, no, very brief thing, Brendan. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole and I completely concur with your analysis pre-2008. I would also say, though, consensus also included for the greater part, trade union movement, as well as everyone on the left, right, and what have you, the whole thing. But look, we'll, we'll leave that for the moment. That's why I'm as unpopular as in the trade union movement as you are, Mick. 
Jesus, no, he was. Anyway, that, okay, fair enough. Seamus, just that broad point, I mean, in, in terms of what Brendan is saying there, is there a case to be made that the measurement of income inequality is not in any way a reflection of what you might call, you know, the, the general gap between rich and poor, that which we understand in general terms to be inequality in society in a socioeconomic sense? Like, so the question of whether income inequality is rising or falling is interesting in and of itself. Uh, it is the case that income inequality is rising uh, in virtually all developed countries. And I, I take the kind of opposite view to, to Brendan talks about a consensus. Uh, what's surprising from my perspective is just how little coverage there is in Ireland of the fact that measures from Eurostat, the OECD, the Luxembourg Income Study, our own central statistics office show that income inequality in Ireland is falling. Uh, the consensus, I would see the view, is that uh, people say that inequality is rising, uh, yet the evidence when you look at it shows that it's falling. Now, is income inequality an end in and of itself? No. Uh, I think it's important to look at it and consider it and see what is happening. Uh, and Rendon mentioned other factors that are important uh, for people's living standards. That is a, a, a absolutely correct. But if you take, say, housing, you mentioned housing, uh, and look at the impact our housing system has on inequality. Yes, we have issues with housing. There's no doubt about that. And they tend to be inside or outside our problems. Uh, we have a, a system of housing that once you get into it, uh, it does perform um, relatively well, but getting into it uh, can lead to significant difficulties. But if you look at the cost of housing for the lowest income households, uh, the housing cost for the lowest income households in Ireland tends to be the lowest in both the OECD and the EU, that the share of people's income, the share of people's disposable income, which we're referring to here, that they have to devote to housing costs in Ireland is lower than in almost all other developed countries. And that is because of the system we have in place uh, that has a system of differential rents for local authority tenants, where their rents are set at 10 to 15% uh, of their income. We are deliberately setting out that the cost uh, of housing will be kept low for those on low income. Now, not to speak, we don't have problems in terms of people getting into that system, but the last census showed there was over 140,000 households who were local authority tenants. There's about 30,000 households who are tenants with housing agencies. Uh, and then you have those who are in the private rental market but have their rents uh, subsidised by the state and are paying those defer deferential rents. So if you look at, at the lowest income households in Ireland, not only do we have lower income inequality uh, or falling income inequality, which is important, uh, the lowest income households in Ireland uh, tend to have lower housing costs than comparable households in other countries. Uh, and we can look at that in terms of the share uh, of their income that they're spending on it. Now, that's not to dispute like we don't have housing problems. Let's not say we don't. We do. But across the population, we have 1.8 million households in Ireland. We have a couple of hundred thousand um, who are uh, tenants paying those differential rents. It is designed that that rent would be 10 to 15 percent of income. Uh, and that puts Irish low income households uh, at the lower end of housing costs in both the EU and the OECD. Just a quick thing, Seamus. And um, you mentioned, in your opinion, that there's a relative consensus that would be, as a, if I understand you rightly, um, at the, opposed to the, the type of research and the conclusions you have reached. Uh, am, I, am I right in that? Do you, you believe that? In well, not necessarily there's a consensus, but I think there's little coverage uh, of what the, the evidence on income inequality has shown. Um, it doesn't seem to, to get traction, like, like Brendan has spoken about um, the coverage before Christmas, but that was like one article um, in the Irish Times. Um, I, I wouldn't call that a, a national consensus comparable to what we saw back in, in 2006, 2007, uh, as the economy was on the precipice. Do you think that article reflected accurately your research, Seamus? Um, I think, 
like again, I'd be a fan of defining things um, carefully, and that's what I've done myself. I think at times that the use of the word inequality is perhaps um, looser than I would tend to use myself. Like I do think you should set out carefully what it is you're saying is rising or falling. It's the media's fault. It's all the media's fault in that respect. <laughs> now I'm only uh, Brendan. One, one other element, just to, like to put to you, to say. Irrespective of of, of the uh, the measurements, and and you, you you would differ with Seamus in terms of what you that overall world inequality, and uh, but from this perspective, using the measurement he's using, and he's suggesting we're going in the opposite directions to a lot of wealthier and developed countries, is that not of itself a good thing? Well, it would be a good thing if it was true. That gets into measuring wealth, not incomes. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. The first thing to say, though, in relation to the housing point that Seamus has just made is, you know, we're not, I'm not questioning and Unite are not questioning and this paper doesn't question um, that those who, who, who are in uh, publicly funded housing um, are being disadvantaged relative to everybody else in terms of the housing costs. That's why, not, that's why we want more publicly funded housing to resolve the housing emergency. What we're questioning is that there isn't enough of it and that the people who can't afford it, and for example, Brian McLaughlin of, of, of Inner City Helping Homeless, who, who helped us with this, uh, pointed out uh, to us that if you want to buy a two-bedroom apartment uh, in Dublin at the moment, somebody who wants to buy that and wants to get a mortgage to buy it, uh, they need to have a shared income, assuming they're a couple, and it may not even be a couple, they need to have a shared income of 120000 a year to buy a two-bedroom apartment in Dublin. Social Justice Ireland, there's lots of research available that isn't pointed to. Social Justice Ireland have pointed out um, that in the last number of years, 680,000 people are suffering from food poverty and 200,000 of them are children. But Seamus, the issue, the question you asked me isn't about income, it's about wealth. Now, we don't have to look very hard to find some up-to-date research on wealth inequality in Ireland, which is one of the other six aspects of inequality. Um, the CSO published a paper in 2018, and the CSO paper in 2018 addressed issues including gross household wealth. And what the CSO said and found was that the bottom 10% um, of, of, of wealth holders had a, had a wealth of €35,000 per household. That included the property, the value of the property. The top 10% had a wealth of 1.932 million. Kathleen, um, Kathleen Lynch, who has worked with us on, uh, on the publicity around this paper, has described that report as pointing to phenomenal wealth inequality. Phenomenal wealth inequality. So it isn't as if there aren't up-to-date measurements around for some of the other seven um, wealth inequality uh, or, or economic inequality aspects, which are income wealth, but they're all, they're all there, Mick. We just aren't seeing them reported. Yeah, I agree. But to be fair, I think, I think it's fair to say, I don't think Seamus is saying there isn't inequality in that respect at all. But his argument is more, apart from income, is more to do with the trajectory in terms of other countries. And again, just putting that to you, would you accept that in terms of developed, relatively wealthy countries, the trajectory that's there is a lot are becoming more unequal, but it would appear certainly from Seamus's research that we're heading in the opposite direction, albeit there are still major problems. No, we can't say that based on Seamus's research because the Seamus's research that we're discussing addresses incomes only. It doesn't address the other six key aspects of income inequality. That's the first thing. So we can't say it based on Seamus's research. Can we say it? Um, I don't believe we can say it. Uh, um, you know, it doesn't, if, if you're suffering from inequality, Mick, 
if you're one of those people who's suffering from, from food inequality, who's suffering from food poverty, it doesn't help you in suffering from food poverty. If somebody in Austria or somebody in Norway or somebody, well, it wouldn't be Norway, if somebody in Austria or somebody in Germany or somebody in Spain who didn't used to have food poverty has it as well, how does that help you in Dublin suffering from food poverty? So how, how, are these, how are these relevant, how are these details, measurements even relevant to the lived experiences of our citizens? What we do know is the people who aren't suffering are the top 1% in any of these countries, in any of these countries. That's where all the wealth is going and everybody else is getting poorer. And Ireland is very much part of that. Everyone apart from the top 1% is getting poorer and Ireland is very much part of that, you would say? Well, I picked the top 1% because that's where the research, that's where Tewison's research, which Seamus relies on, points to. You know, the, 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 the amount of resources and of income even, not just wealth, but as of, and income going to the top 1% is increasing exponentially year after year across the planet. Oxfam just recently published a, a paper on how that's affecting people in the pandemic. So to say, so to, to say that Ireland is somehow getting better but, but they, and just to put this in context, uh, Mike, everybody might everybody mightn't have read the coverage. The coverage was described as Ireland is a social democratic country, which is doing great. We are a world beater because the government has made perfect decisions over a period of years, and they, they need to continue. It's clearly political. I know. I, I think that to be fair, Brendan, I think that's a bit partisan no, interpretation. I, 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 and I've read it. They, they, they certainly were. They certainly were commending the fact that in in, in on the basis of Seamus' research, it was going in a good direction. I don't think they were putting it exactly in shining terms exactly in, in that respect. To be fair, like okay, but Seamus, do you want to come back on that, please? Yeah, a lot of points are. I, I don't think I'll, I'll get to cover them all. Uh, which is disappointing, but I'll try to cover some of them. Uh, so, so Brendan referred to the, the CSO's uh, wealth inequality report from 2018. That was a, a follow-on from a report that did in the same topic uh, in 2013. Uh, and what Brendan failed to mention was that between the reports of 2013 and 2018, that the CSO reported that wealth inequality in Ireland was falling. Uh, same study, looking at the same aspects, uh, that yes, wealth inequality is high and wealth is far more unevenly distributed uh, than income. But again, over the, the periods for which the CSO have studied, wealth inequality is falling. Now, wealth will be highly unequal. Even if we had perfect equality of income, uh, a key determinant of, of uh, wealth inequality is time. Uh, somebody in their 20s simply hasn't been working long enough uh, to build up savings, to pay down a mortgage, to put money into uh, a pension fund versus somebody who's been working for 30 or 40, 50 years. So what seem like very large gaps uh, can hugely be explained by time. Now, that's not to say within age groups you should look at those between 55 and 65 and see, is there differences there? And, uh, and yes, there are. Uh, but the, the gross figures that, that Brendan mentioned there, by and large, you're looking at young people who are just setting out in their career uh, versus older people, perhaps people who unfortunately have had uh, their, their parents pass and have um, taken on certain assets, etc. Uh, and that drives a lot of that difference. Uh, you want to look at it within ages. Now, in terms of food, Brendan mentioned it, like food deprivation. We do have indicators that show what has happened in Ireland over a long period of time. We don't have to compare ourselves to Austria. We can just look at what happened in Ireland. Uh, and there's a question in um, the, the surveys of people's 
living standards that asks, have you, are you able to afford a meal uh, with meat, fish, chicken, or vegetarian equivalent every second day? Uh, a question about basic nutrition and protein. And back in the mid-1980s in Ireland, 9% of people lived in households that were unable to afford uh, a meal with meat, ch chicken, fish, or vegetarian equivalent every second day. The most recent figure is that that is now 2%. And so it's fallen from 9% uh, to 2%. Similarly, people back in, in the 90s were asked a question, was there a day in the last two weeks where you went the entire day without a substantial meal? And in the mid-1980s in Ireland, a fairly bleak place, the answer to that question was yes, by 5% of people. Uh, in fact, that question has now fallen out of our measure of, of deprivation uh, because the number approached zero and an indicator that gives you an answer of zero um, isn't very useful. We can look at other things like whether a family could afford to have a car in the 1980s 22% didn't have a car, not because they chose not to have one, but because they couldn't afford to. 22%, that fell to 13% in the 1990s, 9% uh, during the 2000s. And the most recent figure says that there's 7% of households out there that don't have a car because they can't afford it. That's not saying it's zero. That's not saying there's no inequality. That's not saying there's no difficulty. But that's saying that from 1980, uh, sorry, from the mid-1980s, there's been a significant drop, both in terms of food, food deprivation, food poverty, uh, and in terms of, of access to, 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 to durables like cars, significant improvement made. Uh, and most of that improvement would have happened at the lower end of the income distribution, uh, assumed that high income people uh, in the 1980s could have afforded uh, a meal with meat, chicken or fish every second day and could have afforded a car. Okay, Seamus, one quick thing in that respect, and I take your point there, but, and I think you've read uh, Brendan's uh, paper as well, and one searing aspect what I thought was the testimony from people who are working with people who are suffering food poverty and living on the margins and there's no doubt about that and I'm just wondering within the context of your research and your um, analysis of that situation is it not also possible that we have a growing underclass and it would appear to be that way in terms of the, the type of people that are requiring food that perhaps are not showing up in the global data for the country? Uh, well, I'm not sure why they wouldn't show up. The CSO go to uh, great lengths to ensure that uh, the figures they produce uh, reflect uh, developments in the population as a whole. Uh, and I'd say if they were to find out that there was a large group of people they were missing, uh, they would consider that to be a, a really significant uh, development. But they, they look at every five years, we have a census in Ireland where there's a headcount uh, of every person in the country. Uh, and the CSO can then use that census that happens every five years and we won't have one this year, unfortunately, but hopefully we'll have one by next year. They can use that census uh, to then look at the surveys they're doing, the work they're doing, to make sure that it is representative uh, of the society, of the population as a whole. Now, saying that inequality is falling uh, and that food poverty is falling isn't saying that there's zero. It's just giving you an indication yeah. of the direction of travel. OK, Brendan, what do you say to that? Well, a bit like Seamus, I have the same dilemma Seamus had when he when he started there. I can't, I'm not going to be able to deal with every single point raised, but I'll leave with some of the key ones. We could be here to look. I will if you want, but I want to deal with a couple of the key ones. Um, first of all, I think I I I would ask Seamus if he's approaching this in a fair way, and I'm not, I'm not questioning that he that he that he is now. But I would ask him from now on, and I would appeal to everybody to to at least be precise with the use of language. And could we talk about in e economic inequality as something that encompasses a whole range of aspects? And then income inequality, and call it income inequality, which is just one aspect of it. And that, because the word just inequality has been thrown around the place here uh, in the coverage and, uh, as well. And it's very, very confusing for listeners, which is why we've done the page. Can I ask you one thing, in that, one, one thing in that respect, Brendan? One thing can I ask you. If it seems 
that incomes are rising and that most, the vast majority of boats are rising in one capacity or another, if it seems that way, does equality matter as much if everybody is doing better in terms of their of course, standard of, of course, well, well no, see, they're making, you're, you're mixing incomes with standard of living. Okay, well, let's take standard of living. I mean, if standards of living in general are... So, first of all, I, I don't accept that income inequality is falling. Income inequality is falling by a measurement using the Gini coefficient, which underrepresents the higher income earners. And the data, by the way, that Tavison points to himself, it runs out in 2007. So, income inequality, so, so there are two sets of figures that you can address at least two. The, the, the share going to the top 1% is growing all the time. And Seamus doesn't allude to that at all in his paper. And the Irish Times certainly don't. The second thing to say then is this in relate getting back to wealth and, and Seamus, because we were talking about the measurement of wealth and the CSO. And Seamus said that, that can, some of that can be put down to age and the whole lot. I'll tell you something else it can be put down to. Inheritance. Because that's the biggest single indicator of wealth dynamics. And the CSO, the CSO pointed to the fact pointed to the to the inequality of inheritance, whereby 67% of the richest decile of families receive very, very significant transfers of shares, capital, and property. Whereas the poorest 10% of the lowest decile receive less than one in ten of them receive anything at all in terms of shares, capital, and property. I don't think there's any argument there, Brendan, yeah. Well, sure, if they received it, they wouldn't be in the bottom 10%. That, that, is a, that, that wealth is a measurement, and inheritance is a huge aspect. Sure, everybody knows that. Do we even have to debate? Yeah, but what does the difference make, then? If people inherit wealth, they're at the top or higher end of the wealth distribution. Uh, like people who are young, in their 20s or 30s, they're in the bottom the position, difference and their is, parents have The difference died. is this, Seamus. The difference is this. With respect, we're talking about inequality. We're talking about either a narrowing gap or a growing gap. And Do you want people in their twenties to have their parents die, Seamus? We're talking. We're not talking about. You're, you're trying to go take it down the cul-de-sac of age. We're talking about the na- narrowing. We're talking gap. about inheritance. We're talking, Can't have an inheritance yes, unless someone and dies. Yes, and 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 there are and the top decile, the richest people will inherit wealth, and wealth creates wealth. No, and the that's the other way around. Won't. And all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that is a factor in measuring wealth. And to absolutely, co- to co- yes. Well, I'm glad you say it. The next time you're talking to Pat Leahy, could you say it? And could you ask him to put it in the Irish Times? Because then we might not have a narrative gathering pace where the thousands of people. Well, Brendan, are you exaggerating about gathering pace? I think Seamus made the point that was one piece of research. We want, you know, they didn't produce this research and suddenly the whole country is looking at things differently. Yeah. To be fair, no. And, and, and you've produced, you've produced a very good report yourself, and, to be and, fair, and, that, that, that disputes it. The, the difference is this. The difference is this, Michael. This is the difference. We produced a very, a very detailed report as part of a discussion. And I'm prepared and we're all, we should all be prepared to listen to each other and to countermeasure and to question each other. But the, but the reportage of Seamus's research in December, cut that out. Seamus himself said the facts are the facts. But so you'd say the same thing about your report, Brendan. The facts are the facts. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that, Mick. We can't have alternative facts now like no, Donald no. Trump. Where we... Well, <laughs> well, the only person here presenting a facts is a facts analysis with respect to Seamus. Now, I, what we're okay. saying is the, is, the, is the area of economic inequality has multiple aspects. It cannot be reduced to one of seven and it cannot be reduced to one measurement of that single aspect. And to do so and then present a situation where the facts are the facts 
don't be listening to the NGOs, which is what the article said, the Irish Times article. Don't be listening to the NGOs. Don't be listening to the unions. Don't be listening to all them naysayers. People don't get their own facts. Well, you know, tell that to the people who, who tell that to the people at Penny Dinners, the five hundred people in Penny Dinners and Cork beside you who got paid, who got their dinner from them at lunchtime today, Seamus. Tell them they're not entitled. I have to say, to, to be fair to you, Brendan, the, the the element of your um of your report that deals with the likes of food poverty and people, as you mentioned, penny dinners and that, is, is certainly uh, something I think everybody should read. Seamus, just briefly, because unfortunately the clock is catching us, um, in general, in your opinion, are we heading in the right direction in terms of a society that is going to be relatively equal in socioeconomic terms? I think there, there'll always be uh, some level of inequality uh, and the uh, I think, again, it's the direction of travel uh, that fashion. If we just try to put it in terms that maybe people can understand, if you go back to the mid-1980s, uh, the, when the minister stood up to give the budget in 1986, uh, the weekly rate of unemployment support uh, was set at £41 uh, a week. If that had kept pace with inflation, it would be about €100 Euro now. If it had kept pace with the average industrial wage, it would be about €160. Euro. Uh, but as we know that the weekly payment, we're not saying it's high, but it is 203 euros. So it's exceeded both inflation uh, and exceeded both wages. Uh, and if we look at the, the distribution of income, if you take the poorest 10%, uh, a household, uh, say a, a four-person household with a disposable income of 25, oh, sorry, of 30,000 uh, would be towards the, the bottom 10%. If income, uh, all else being equal, if income was distributed now, like it was in 1987, that household in the bottom 10% that today has a disposable income of 30,000, possibly has uh, some of the lowest housing costs in either the EU or the OECD, its disposable income, if it was distributed as it was in 1987, would be 25,000 euro. The change in the distribution of income, the increase in the share of income that has gone to the bottom 10%, uh, it is low, it was 3.3% in the 1980s, it's 4% now, but that is a 20% difference uh, over that 30-year period. And that would be 100 euro a week is a very significant impact. Uh, and that if you just distribute the income now as it was uh, back in 1987, that's what you'd find. Um, so it is having a, a big impact. It has had a big impact. Can we repeat it? I don't know, one thing that happened over the last 30 years, of course, was the transformation of the economy. Uh, in the mid-1980s, there was 900,000 people uh, in non-agricultural employment, and over a three-year period at the end of the 80s, 100,000 people emigrated. We've seen a huge expansion of unemployment opportunities. Uh, before the current crisis, there was 2.2 million people in non-agricultural employment, and rather than 100,000 people leaving this country, in three years, a hundred thousand net, a hundred thousand people came to this country. Uh, so clearly, people are voting with their feet. Okay. It is not that the failure that some would set it out to be. We have made progress. Can we continue to do so? I hope. Can we treble the unemployment payment over the next thirty years as we've done for the last thirty years? I hope so. Okay, Brendan, briefly yourself again. Uh, are we heading in the right direction? Well, I. Just to conclude, I rel- Seamus is throwing out years there, and, and if I can indulge you, Mick, I'll give my own personal experience, because I think sometimes listeners have heard a lot of statistics there now. I was one of those people in the 80s um, who uh, I would say was forced to emigrate. don't think it done me any harm, by the way. So was I. So were you, Mick, yeah. So um, I was raised, um, I don't mind saying this, I was raised uh, in, a, in a council housing estate um, in Dundalk, you may have guessed, um, uh, to, in a family of nine children, um, 
a single income, income a single income household. Uh, my father was a very hard worker, but he was what some people would describe, uh, I wouldn't, as as an unskilled worker. Um, we didn't have a lot, but we had everything we needed. Um, we 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 had food, we had school books, we had a little holiday down the road to Clarehead once a year, um, and and we got by we got by perfectly at perfectly adequately. Now I think you know, pointing to an increase of 20% over 30 years of social welfare as some sort of an advance. If you look at where we are with work in working class communities today, if you 400%. Look, 400%. I wrote them down, Seamus. If you look at this, if you, you said a 20% increase for three, if you, anyway, if you, if you look at where we are today. Just due to inequality, that 20% increase was just due to inequality. It was a 400% okay, increase okay, we want, uh, in the weekly unemployment benefit. Um, if, you, if you look at where we are today, Families, first of all, uh, would, even if they wanted to, you wouldn't be able to have a family that size in a working class housing estate and provide food and pay your bills um, without seeking the support of the people we've talked to in the paper, um, the charities and the NGOs, the Penny Dinners, the Bear Bogan's Basket Brigade, the Inner City Helping Homeless, who started off as a homeless charity and now spend a lot of their resources, a lot of their time handing out food. I don't think we're on the right trajectory I don't okay. think it's going in the right direction. And I think if we need to debate these things and we need to debate them in the round, and at least if we can, at least if this exercise does anything, uh, Mick, and Seamus, with respect, I'd say this, if we could just cut out the dogmatic statements that the facts are the facts and there's no room for debate, it's a very, very complex area. It affects hundreds of thousands of people's actual lives. And we need to have an honest discussion so that we can have decent policy okay. making, not policy making based on dogma. Okay, Brendan, thanks. Um, my own parting words are uh, there, there was talk there that, uh, that, that there's a generational thing and that the older you are, um, perhaps people have a bit more. I'd quite happily remortgage the house if I could uh, get back 20 years. I'd have no problem with that at all. You know, I'd, 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 I'd take the that. The family back, can get out and all the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the hair would come back. Uh, no, no, that's a big thing. All right. Leave my hair alone, Brendan. Uh, <laughs> folks, Thanks very much for listening. That's it for today. I want to thank our two guests for that, which I think was a very stimulating conversation. Uh, Seamus Coffey and Brendan Ogle, thank you both very much. Thanks to our engineer, JJ Vernon, and thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Take it handy. <laughs> <laughs>